Everything has an opportunity cost. That's right. Anything that you're going to do in marketing has a cost associated to it, even if it's just sending out an email. So our next guest today thinks about things as cost. What's the cost versus the opportunity? Going to a trade show or 10 trade shows and getting a thousand eyeballs may feel great, but what might be better is a single webinar where you get 10 of the right people in there that ultimately are going to drive value for the bottom line. So as you think about the mix, the way that you design your core marketing programs, you're going to want to listen to Aaron Strout, all today on the podcast. Welcome to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. Now here's your host, Todd Wills. Todd Wills. Hello, welcome to the podcast. You know, we all talk about integrated marketing and we talk about the mix of marketing and what things should we do. Some executives want to go all in on one strategy. It's all digital or it's all in person or it's all word of mouth or it's all account based. Aaron looks at this as truly spreading the wealth, testing, trying, looking at alternative measures. Even if you know, you think you know what that one best thing is, Aaron's going to challenge that and have you think about spreading out and trying new interesting things. The idea being you don't know your boundaries unless you exceed them. And so as you go out and start looking for how you're going to develop your marketing mix, you know what? I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to let Aaron talk about it. So sit back, take a listen as Aaron walks us through the marketing mix, integrated marketing, and how to build, drive, and grow those types of campaigns. Today on the podcast. I am very excited to have CMO extraordinaire Aaron on the call today. Aaron, thank you for joining as we do with everybody. Tell us who you are and why the hell you're here. Sure, Todd. I'm not sure I know why the hell I'm here, but uh, I think we're going to have a fun conversation. Uh, my name is Aaron Strout. I'm the CMO of W2O, which is a uh, marketing and uh, communications agency. Uh, we work predominantly in the health and tech space, and I've been here for eight years. Uh, we're about, uh, we'll, we'll do about $200 million in revenue this year, so it gives you a sense of our size. We're mostly U.S., but uh, we have offices in London and in Zurich. Uh, I've grown up in the digital social space, spent time at Jelly Investments and then two different startups before coming over to W2O. And uh, I do a podcast myself called the What to Know Podcast. And I know, I think you and I are going to talk a little bit about podcasts, but I was honored. Um, our friends, Brian and Courtney uh, Kramer were the ones that introduced us and they're great people. So shout out to them. And um, that's who I am. Well, yeah, shout out to Brian and Courtney. They, uh, they're definitely friends of the podcast. They're both in the book. They've both been featured uh, podcasts on, on the show. And so uh, definitely friends of the network. So your friends are my friends. That makes us friends. So Aaron, thank you. That was, that was fantastic. And, and this is great. And, you know, we are going to talk about the podcast, but I'm going to um, uh, create a little healthy uh, tension and make people wait for that conversation. So let's start with something else first, and then we'll get to the podcast piece. You know, one of the things we... Good. Yeah, one of the things we talked about was um, this kind of healthy mix that that companies and brands will go through. And sometimes it spins on a dime. Sometimes it takes months. Sometimes it takes years of where the focus for marketing is. You know, it can be digital. It can be thought leadership. It can be account-based. It can be, you know, revenue. It can be, and, and I talk about it through the book. It's sort of this evolution. And that's confusing for a lot of leaders and a lot of founders. They tend to think of marketing as this one lens or they become comfortable with marketing and don't understand the shift of it. Or marketers become uncomfortable because they are brought in to do one thing and the business changes and they have to refocus their energies. 
So let's start just sort of at, you know, baseline, like talk a little bit through finding that mix and finding your way through that. Cause I know you've had an interesting journey and then we'll go from there and talk about, okay, how do you transfer that insight information to what other people are going through? So let's, let's start with you and your kind of personal background. Yeah. I, I like the way you frame that Todd, because you're right. Marketing does mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, sort of like saying strategy, right? <laughs> some people think strategy in very tactical terms, some in very strategic terms. So I have had the unique uh, benefit of growing up in the world, really mainly in a digital kind of role. I started a small direct marketing agency, um, did two years there, and then nine years at Fidelity Investments, and really did all sort of way, shape, and form of things digital. Uh, so learned, you know, about display. I mean, we did some of Fidelity's first display advertisements, uh, did email marketing, helped build a, a prospect website, you know, so all of that good stuff. Um, and I was there from 97 to 2006. And I mentioned that only because I knew the next wave was really going to be focused on social and then eventually probably mobile. And I knew that Fidelity, as great as they were and as smart as they were, weren't going to get there as fast as I wanted to. And so I, I went to two different startups, one called Mazinga, and then uh, left for another one called Powered. And I was the CMO of both. And then came to W2O. And why I mention all that, um, I don't mean to bore people to tears, <laughs> but at Fidelity, I really had an opportunity to sort of understand and develop the discipline of traditional, you know, database marketing, um, you know, how to leverage your channels correctly, uh, acquisition marketing, growing your existing customer base. And then at the other two, you know, we did really shift gears and focus more on thought leadership and events and networking. Um, so using things like blogs and podcasts, et cetera, and, and webinars and tweet ups. And then at W2O, I've had the advantage, and this is the punchline, that I think today's marketer, um, irrespective of what marketing means, needs to understand like what does brand building look like? What does uh, demand gen or sort of lead gen look like? And that's more of a sales driven um, environment. How does thought leadership play a role? How does networking and, you know, creating live events and virtual events, how do they play a role? How does creating, you know, content like this or a white paper or a research report, you know, how does that sort of fit into the mix? And then there are all these things like, you know, PR and awards and making sure that, you know, your glass door ratings look right and all those good things, you know, along those lines. Um, so I think, that's a long way of saying that I've had the benefit of having this great journey. Uh, I find that having access to all of those different sort of tools, disciplines, and, and sort of skill sets is really helpful in then working with my team and being able to kind of move them along or bring them up to speed on certain things so that uh, we're always able to be agile and move with the current environment. Well, and that's, I think, one of the things that um – it's interesting because you're you've had your own sort of personal journey through this, but then I also hear the struggle that a lot of organizations have of this sort of one size fits all view of marketing and and when to know when to move from one to the next. You know, I've gone and been parachuted into companies that were focused on uh, on leads, and everything for them was all about just generating leads. When you really scratch under the surface, they were only trying to talk to 10 or 15 different companies. And if they could have won seven of those, it would have been a game changer for them. And so leads didn't really matter, but everyone thought marketing equals demand gen equals leads, right? And so for them, it was more about, well, we just have to win seven accounts. So let's go in and focus and do really great account-based marketing and go deep in that. And what does that mean for the organization? So I think it's this, and we talk about it in the book, it's the elephant approach, the blind men and the elephant, right? 
one person touches the trunk, yeah. one person touches the tail, one person touches the ears, they all have a different view of it. And, and I think what you're describing here is this view that marketing has. People think they know what it is, they think they understand it, and they, we're all speaking a slightly different language. Yeah, and I think just to touch on you know what you were um, referencing when you mentioned the account-based marketing, it's a little difficult for people to wrap their heads around this, you know, spray and getting away from like the pray and pray and spray or spray and pray <laughs> right. mentality, which, you know, TV was for a long time and print to some degree is. And it's why the promise of social was so good, but now particularly with paid social and paid search, because you can be so surgical with it. And I think there's a feeling or a hesitancy to put all your eggs in that one basket. It's like, what do you mean if there are only 10 companies I want to go after you know, that I should only be targeting those 10 companies versus putting myself out into the ether. And, you know, it's, it's like doing a webinar. You don't need 500 or 5,000 people to show up. You only need the right five or 10 people to show up. Yeah. So what are the things that you can talk about that are meaningful to those folks that, you know, do make a difference? Now, the other thing too is, is that thought leadership does play a role in the fact that um, you can go and talk to, let's say it's uh, the company is Walmart, you know, and you want to be on their radar and they don't know who you are and they don't know anything about what you do. You can buy them all the dinners in the world, which by the way, they won't let you do. Um, you can write all the, you know, the nicest white papers, et cetera, in the world. But there is a mix of the, you know, how do you show up in the world? And part of that's basic blocking and tackling, like having a good website, having a few of the basic right social media channels, so you look legit when someone goes to look for you, making sure you show up in search, which means, you know, when you pick a name, don't pick a generic name like Spoon, that if someone Googles you, it's like, okay, you're never going to find that company. So <laughs> there's a lot that goes into it. And, you know, you did touch on that journey too, and, and I'll shut up here, but it is one where knowing, depending on your size, what, you know, uh, resources you have both monetarily and from a staff perspective, what can you tap into and what should you be doing? And I don't think the answer is ever like you should be doing one or you should be doing all, but it is a continuum. And there are certain places along that continuum where you might want to dial up or down those certain activities. Well, and with this, do you think there's a, an idea of testing and experimentation that should and could go into this? Because I think what you're saying is, it's never all or nothing. Like it's never just one thing and it's seldom everything. So there's some sort of healthy mix, a turn of dials and screws that make this work. But knowing exactly what that is for where you are at any point in time might be challenging. And so are you leading us down a path of, hey, you need to experiment and test a little? I'm a huge fan of experimentation and testing and learning. And you should, every company, this is one thing that I will insist on is every company should have a test and learn um, agenda. And by the way, you should take notes, you should measure, but I'm going to take one step back, which I think leads into what you're talking about, Todd. And that is that if you don't have a goal or an end in mind, then you're going to be flying blind, right? And that seems stupid, obvious, <laughs> but a lot of companies actually don't stop and think about that. So back to your uh, point about if there are only 10 companies you need to get, you're B2B then you have a very different set of tactics than let's say a mobile app that's launching that wants to reach 500,000 people. And maybe it's free and all they're trying to do is, you know, audience um, acquisition so that they can advertise. And so thinking about what is it I want to do? Who is it that I want to do it with? Um, what resources do I have to do it with? And then really trying to think about 
what are the things that I know that I can afford to do that will, or, you know, hopefully should work. And, you know, you can have varying different sizes of your budget allocated or your resources allocated, but I do like the idea of at a minimum 10% of your budget, you know, 10% of your activities uh, reserved for test and learn. And I will also say that maybe the smaller or the more uh, early you are in your journey, you may need to do riskier things. You may need to do things that um, are more test and learn because of the fact that you don't have the tens of millions or hundreds of millions that some of your competitors have, right? So it's like Zoho, um, who's a CRM competitor Mm -hmm. to, to Salesforce. Zoho was super scrappy early days, and I'm not endorsing one or the other, but I was impressed with their guerrilla tactics, and they actually were able to, in some ways, out, you know, Salesforce, Salesforce, who started with guerrilla tactics. And so you have to be mindful of, you know, what are the things that you're willing to do, and how do you do them um, to get there? And part of that is, you know, what kind of budget do you have, if any kind of budget? And if you don't have one or you have a small one, then you do have to test and learn a lot of other things and make sure that you're that not only are they they're smart, but they can scale, right? Because you can have the most successful thing in the world, but if you can't do that 10 more times or 100 more times, or 1,000 more times, um, then maybe you shouldn't be wasting your time on that activity. Well, you you got a little Sun Tzu art of war there with the, uh, if, you're, if you're not bigger, be swift and nimble, right? And so <clears throat> I think that's one of the really great examples of someone like Zoho or some of these other brands that have come in and they've been able to be disruptive and they're doing it in a way that has a purpose and a goal in mind. So I think that was, that was key because I've heard a lot of founders, executives in general, just do things for the sake of disruption. You know, let's go and do this thing at this show. Okay, but why? How is that authentic to our brand? What are we trying to do? What are we trying to accomplish? Well, I saw somebody else do it and it looked really cool. Okay, great. But that's not who we are and what we're trying to stand for. So having that, having that goal in mind and making sure that it's about who you are and who you want to be is key. And then thinking about this as being, you know, swift and nimble and sometimes disruptive and sometimes out there just trying to experiment and try stuff that hasn't been done before. I, I think it's just phenomenal advice. Well, and two other quick things, if you don't mind me, yeah. or yeah. you'll indulge me. So one is, I think, you know, people forget about opportunity cost. So to your earlier point, oh, yeah, nice. I might think that it makes sense for me to go to CES and do a big installment, right, or to do guerrilla tactics. But if I really am supposed to be at the JP Morgan Health Conference, right, or I'm supposed to be at HIMSS or the auto show or whatever, then be really mindful of the fact that every activity you do, especially the smaller you are, is a trade-off for another activity you could be doing. Like what if doing a webinar would have been just impact, just as impactful yeah. and could have been, you know, a lot more uh, cost effective, right? So I think being sure that you're doing those kind of things makes sense. And then, you know, also um, reinforcing what you just said, that just because someone else did it doesn't mean like P&G did it. Well, A, P&G, Procter & Gamble, they may have done it 20 years ago when it worked. Or Procter & Gamble is, you know, a multi-billion dollar company. So you doing it as a, you know, $10 million company or a $1 million company, you may or may not have the same impact, right? Because they do have a whole bunch of different tools and, and things at their discretion, but they're also a different size, you know? And maybe there's some things you could do that they can't. So I'll leave it at that. Yeah, no, the opportunity cost is key too. And I think that's one that's often sort of forgotten. And, and we sort of have this, we, we pride action over all things at times. And so we hear that a lot from especially the earlier stage companies where they're like, let's just do something. 
It's like sometimes thinking about doing the right thing is better. Doing even something smaller or doing it's something that doesn't have the big impact or the big show might be the better approach. So I love all this. That was, that was fantastic. Okay. Thank you. So one part down, let's, let's give them what they want. Let's talk podcasts. So you're, you're 10 years in your journey. Holy crap. 10 years. Good God, man. That is a commitment. I love it. So 10 years in your podcast. And you know, one of the things I think you sort of said is this resurgence of the podcast. Like it was hot and coming up for a while. And then it felt like it got overshadowed by a lot of what was happening else in social. And it was sort of this quiet thing in the background. And now podcasts have come roaring back. And clearly, uh, you know, people are listening to them because they're listening to it right now on this podcast. So we hope, right? Yeah, we hope, right? And if they're not, then it's just an enjoyable conversation between the two of us. But we know there's, there's a few people listening to it. So with, um, with your podcast, let's, let's talk a little bit about the process. The question I get often is, okay, what does it take to do a podcast? Why do you do a podcast? What's the resourcing and time to do it? It seems like it's a lot of work. I wouldn't know the first thing about how to start it. How do you find guests? What, what guests do you bring on? You know, I've answered some of those where I have could in a variety of different avenues. I want to hear from you. What's your process? How do you, why do you keep doing it? Where do you find people? What are the conversations you like having? What keeps driving you forward with this? Like, tell us all. Lay it on us, Aaron. Yeah, no. So, um, and just to, to be clear, uh, over those 10 years, I've actually done four different podcast series and they've all actually been fairly different. Although ironically, the one that I'm doing now, the what to know is most similar to the first one I did, which was called the We Show, W-E. And, um, you know, I have had a consistent thread, which is, you know, who are the interesting guests that I can have on the show? Because while I'd love to think that I'm, you know, that really interesting, I know there are a lot of people that are much more interesting than me. And, you know, don't be afraid to, to sort of reach out of your comfort zone. I mean, I've had people like, uh, Michael Arrington was one of my first guests, wow. uh, the founder of TechCrunch. And this is yeah. back in, you know, 2006 when he was a huge deal, right? And then um, Al Roker, who was the first person I ever hmm. interviewed that my parents actually knew, um, <laughs> you know, and then uh, I've had people like Tyler Florence and, you know, Aaron Sanchez. Uh, so, you know, so, some really interesting folks along the way that I sort of thought to myself, maybe I don't have any business doing this, but you'd be surprised a, you know, that people love to talk. Um, they love good company. So I would say, you know, and you're, as you're thinking about guests, who are the folks that you can put out there to say, Oh, well, I've interviewed this company or this group or this CEO or this artist. And that's always helpful. Um, I will say just to address some of your other questions, because I've gone from audio, like mobile audio to, or, or over the phone, uh, to a video podcast, to a dial-in live podcast, but now one that's not live, that is audio again, that is mobile, and I can go and record with people. I do, like, while this is great, and I like the video component, um, the video component definitely adds a level of complexity that some people are willing to do, some people aren't. Tools like Zoom and GoToMeeting and WebEx certainly make it a little easier to, to do these kind of things, and certainly the audio and video have gotten much better over the web. Um, I have a little, you know, zoom that I bring around with me. That's got two shore mics and you know, it's a nice, easy way. And I like to actually meet people face to face. So again, this video piece helps accomplish some of that. Um, but I would say, you know, go in with a plan similar to everything that we're talking about, Todd, that one of the biggest 
places people fall down is they don't really think about like, what is my topic? What's my story arc? Like what types of guests do I want? You know, what ground are we going to cover? So making sure you're clear on that and maybe planning out your first 10 guests, excuse me, um, thinking about like, what am I going to name it? That's clever enough, but also stands out, uh, making sure it's findable. Um, you know, what, what platforms are you going to use? And so, you know, there are some that are pretty easy and standard, um, you know, making sure you're syndicating it in the right places, uh, making sure that you have a format that doesn't have a ton of complexity unless you can afford it. So with mine, uh, I have bumpers that we created. So usually it's your first episode, which is the hardest because you solve a lot of these problems. Hmm. You know, what's my intro, outro music, what, what are the bumpers that I want? Uh, and then having someone that can produce it, right? And sometimes that person is yourself. Uh, I happen to have a person on my team that, you know, has learned to do this and she's really good at it. And so she's able to do that for me. And then looking around corners and thinking about it's good to record it, but how do I get it out into the world, right? So I have another person on my social team that's going to process and that we go through like the naming of that particular episode. Um, what are the social posts we want to share? You know, what, uh, all those things, how do we get it to the guest? You know, how do we make sure that people actually can find it and discover it? Um, so those are, you know, just some of the things that you have to take into consideration that I've learned over all the years. Uh, so I think, you know, one, simpler is better Two, have a plan going in three, you know, there are a lot of great tools and, and things out there that don't cost a million bucks, uh, but be committed to it. And one of my good things, um, it's the last thing I'll say that my producer told me going in, she's like, listen, if we're going to do this, we need to commit to doing it once a week. You don't have to record live, but let's put them out every Thursday. And I will say with the exception of probably two or three weeks over the last two years, we have religiously gotten the podcast out, you know, even though sometimes it's taken some scrambling uh, every Thursday and uh, you know, it's been a good discipline to, to commit to that. One thing I love about being on C-Suite radio is the sponsors. That's right. It's those people that help make the podcast run. They are bread and butter. So I'd love for you to just sit back and take a quick listen as one of our sponsors tells you what they're all about. Thanks for listening to our sponsor. Now let's go back and join Aaron. Well, and a couple of things that I heard that really chimed through. So I mean, one is this idea of having a purpose and a goal, because I think there's a lot of podcasting for the sake of podcasting. It's okay. Just like it is with finding any product or developing any company, you're going to pivot and move and change a little bit where you start off and where you end up might be slightly different because you'll find your way through that process. But if you don't have a, North Star, a product or a, a fit that you're going for, you're going to flail wildly. And, and I think that's where a lot of these efforts, marketing, whether it's a podcast or whether it's doing some sort of other presence, uh, really kind of go skew. And then the, you know, the second piece that I heard was this idea of the discipline and, and the commitment to it. Uh, again, I've seen a lot of, uh, I've seen, and I've helped a lot of executives do executive Twitter feeds and there's three tweets or they do a blog series and there's four blogs or they do a podcast series and there's two podcasts and then there's not one for another 12 weeks. So your, your commitment piece, I'd love to hear a little bit from you on, okay, so you commit to doing this, right? How do you, are you banking a bunch of episodes in advance? Are you doing it just in time? Are you trying to do them all in one day and have them fed out over the course of the next couple of weeks? Like talk a little bit about through that. Cause I think that's one where people go, God, that's a, that's a lot of time. One a week. That's a lot of effort. 
Yeah. So the answer to your question is yes. Uh, and by that, <laughs> I mean, like I've, I've done all of those approaches. I'd say the perfect balance is to bank them. And ideally if you can bank anywhere between, you know, three to 10. And one good way to do this, by the way, is to go to live events, right? So whether it's CES or South by Southwest or HIMSS or ASCO, depending on your industry, uh, going and actually lining up guests ahead of time. Don't wait to the last minute because, you know, one, guests tend not to love to be surprised. Some will mm -hmm. in, indulge you and will actually, you know, answer. Uh, a lot actually prefer to have the prep, especially the more senior they are. Um, or, you know, there are some folks that are just very methodical. Um, there have been times where I do go week to week and that's not a place I love to live because, you know, there is a higher risk that you're going to miss your slot. And the, the last is there have been days where I've done anywhere between 10 and 20 podcasts in a day. And what I will tell you is it is mentally exhausting. And by the time you're done with them, I would argue you've done some of your last guests a disservice because yeah. you sort of use so much mental energy. So I think if you can cap out at like maybe no more than five, seven, if you must in a day and ideally making sure that you're, um, you know, you're being, you're being mindful of the fact that you leave space in between them because that's the other thing is like, if you have a 20 minute podcast scheduling back to back to back to back, um, inevitably one of your guests will be late or you'll run long or you'll have a technical issue and then you immediately back up your queue, which dumb little tactical things like that, but it's just making yeah. sure. And I couldn't agree more by the way of the, it's better to not do it at all versus saying, oh yeah, I'm going to do a series and then doing two, whether it's a tweet, a blog, a podcast, but, but also don't be afraid to say, I'm going to just do a six part series or an eight part series and go in knowing that. Yeah. And then if that turns out to be something that you love and, and it is going well, then go for it and extend it. And by the way, I love what you said before is sometimes with what you start with evolves and it's not what you end with. And that's okay. As long as it still aligns with what your goal is, which by the way, I'd love to talk a little bit more about, what your goal and my goals are so that people can maybe get a little bit better sense of, you know, why we do this versus just, um, you know, spending an hour of our day, you know, talking and talking into that little dot on our computer. Well, look at this. You just flipped the narrative on me. You just took control of the podcast <laughs> and asked me a question. So, so, uh, okay. All right. I'll take it. I'll take the bay. We'll do this a little, a little given, a little give and take. And, uh, and then we'll go into one sort of final thing. I want to talk about networking to kind of close out. So, yeah, for the podcast. I mean, the thing that was interesting for me was working with a ton of founders, entrepreneurs, big idea people, and realizing that they need help just like everybody else. But because they're leaders, people assume that they know more than they do or can. So a leader in these companies, they don't have a swim lane. They're in everybody's swim lane. A marketer is in charge of marketing and an ops person is in charge of operations. But the CEO, that founder, is in charge of everything. And they can't have all those disciplines. And so they need help. And so what I want to do is curate conversations like we're having right now, helping them to understand marketing, the discipline of go-to-market, the strategy of go-to-market, how to find customers, connect with customers, to make customers feel special and to make customers want to come to you, and all of the nuances that go into that. And so I bring on marketers and investors and advisors and mentors and other founders that have been there, done that, and walked through all of that and now can tell those stories to make founders, entrepreneurs, better founders and better entrepreneurs. And I, I love doing it because I get to talk to really passionate, excited, fun people that love what they do. And that energy and that enthusiasm is contagious. 
And so you're right. After 10 of these in a day, you're mentally exhausted. But for the first five or six, you're like walking on air because you get to hear this like energy and passion that you don't get on a daily basis for most people in their regular lives. So that's why I do what I do. So now I'm going to take back control of the podcast. Aaron, why do you do what you do? Well, I'm going to add on to what you uh, just said, if you don't mind. And so uh, yeah. one, I, I totally agree. Like I love that I get to talk to these brilliant people and it makes me feel smarter just through osmosis. But I think there are a couple of things I'd add on to what you're doing, which I applaud by the way. And so I don't know what your you know explicit business model is, but you wrote a book. Uh, I'm guessing the book helps you get speaking opportunities. And you also know that there are people like myself that have a decent sized social following. And that if you take the time to record this with me, I'll go out and share this. So you're building your network. And this will lead a little bit into my answer and then into our networking question. So I think not being afraid of the fact that it's like, what are some things that can be mutually beneficial? And that's the key. So you're adding value to your ecosystem. You're helping people like myself, you know, feel smarter and also take an opportunity to really think about these and give it a piece of content that I can share out to my world. But you're expanding your network and you're helping your overall business model. So to that end, for me, um, why do I do it? Well, one, you know, I want to create great content that helps make our clients who happen to be, again, CMOs, CCOs in the healthcare and tech world uh, feel smarter. So by bringing them some of the best of. And then the other secondary is that it's good for our me because I can have our clients on there. And so our clients say, oh, that's awesome that you have all these other leaders. I'd like to be on there. So now it's something that's a benefit that we're providing to them. And then selfishly, and this will get into the next topic of mm -hmm. conversation, I like to collect people. I've been doing it for 15 or 20 years now. And so I've built a big network because of the fact that I have found ways and podcasts is an amazing way to be able to do that, either blog interviewing or podcast interviewing. Um, because you really create an intimate moment with that person. You get to know them and, you know, you have a great conversation ideally. And so for me, that's, you know, a third but very important benefit to, to doing this. Well, it, and I love the mutuality of it. I love the fact that this adds a lot of value and that you, uh, and I, I was smiling when you said collect people because that's that's absolutely been a business model of mine and continuing to have great conversations with people and bringing um, great people around you. And, and it, this actually does dovetail very nicely into the networking piece. So a couple of weeks ago, we had Karen Wickery on. Karen just wrote a book on, on networking. She was at Google and at Twitter. And she has this view, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, on, you know, networking really being this thing to find your, your board of advisors, right? Your, your board of directors, your own personal board of directors, those people around you, they're going to make you smarter and better and, you know, call you on your shit occasionally. And they're the ones that are going to keep you and guide you and be that sort of constant voice around you. So that's how she defines it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on, as you think about networking, what is it? And also what isn't it? Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions around this idea of networking. Yeah, I like the way you frame that. Let's start with what it isn't. And this is something I try to advise people that I do mentor or that are you know willing to listen. And it's not a one and done activity. And it's almost never done well when it's done out of necessity. And what I mean by that is uh, we all get that hey, uh, I know we haven't talked in a while, but I just lost my job or I think I'm going to lose my job and I'd love to like, you know, find out if you have any ideas. And the thing is, is we've all out of the kindness of our hearts probably said yes and depending on our relationship with that person. But it's absolutely the worst time to do it because A, 
they don't have any leverage, right? And they're needing to rush along. Their confidence is probably at an all-time low and they're making this massive frenzy to get out there. What I've always tried to do, and I think, Todd, you're cut from the same cloth. I know, you know, BK and Courtney are the same, is putting money in the bank. How do I have like positive mojo with people and create meaningful dialogues with them on a regular basis, whether that's fun, whether it's value add, whether it's just like, hey, let me take you up for drinks or take you to a game. Uh, because that way, when you do need something, it's like, oh, by the way, like, I know I've given you all these things. Would you be willing to give me something back or do me a favor? People are always much more happy to do that. I think the other thing is from a networking perspective is not going in and being so explicit that it's like, I need a new job or, Hey, I, yeah. will you introduce me to this person? It is back to that mutuality. What can I give you? And by the way, I could use something. And so I won't pretend that I'm not doing this out of that, but that goes back to the last answer, which is <laughs> if you can build up money in the bank ahead of time, then people are willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. So that's the don't want what not to do. I love the idea of the um, building a advisory board and I'll take it a little bit further. I'm always looking for who are people that are smart, young up and comers that I might hire in the future, who are people I might partner with, who are potential clients, who are people that, um, by the way, I get a ton of knowledge. Like I just asked a question on Facebook, 200 comments later, uh, I rely on Facebook for music recommendations and, you know, streaming content uh, recommendations because I just don't feel like I have enough time to hunt and pack. So if you build your network the right way, I can get speakers for events. I can get podcast guests. I can get new clients. I can get, you know, new hires. I can get partners that will do things. And, and they're all going about it in that way that you and I have talked about, which is how can I have mutual benefits? How can I make it feel like anytime we interact, it's special. And how do I break through that clutter of, it's not just an ordinary email of like, Hey, what's going on? But maybe it is a video chat. Maybe it's like, I'm going to send you, I love to on people's birthday. I'll do a little video clip and I'll send it to them. Cause I know we mm -hmm. may not catch up on the phone and people are like, Oh my God, thank you for taking the time. It's like, that took me all of 15 seconds, <laughs> but it felt special versus that happy birthday wrote, you know, activity on Facebook that everybody does now, which means absolutely zero. Right. So how can you stand, stand apart? So nice. with that, I'll shut up. Cause I know I just rambled on for a bit. No, that wasn't a ramble at all. I, I, I think there's there's something to this about, um, again, demystifying what networking should be, making it authentic. And your idea of banking, you know, call it karma or goodwill or banking the relationship is really, really sound. Because I think we've all been in that circumstance where we do take that meeting or we've been in the place where we've asked for that meeting because we just found ourselves in between something and you can hear the panic and desperation and the lack of confidence that's in somebody's voice. And you're also asking them to do something that oftentimes is a bit of a needle in a haystack. I need a perfect job for me right now. Do you happen to have one in your back pocket? And what's better is to have this great network of people so that when those circumstances do happen, or along the way, before before they happen, you have those people in your network and having those relationships that are coming back to you and saying, hey, I know you're not really looking right now, but something just came up that might be really interesting for you. Or I've been keeping my eye out for you, and I think there's a couple of things that might be interesting opportunities that, frankly, you haven't even thought about. But because I know you, and I have an objective eye for you, and I have your best interest at heart, you may actually want to consider looking at this, this, or this. And new, right. unique opportunities and directions come out of that because we've got people that are invested in us versus just trying to help us in a panic. 
And that's a much healthier place. I don't think there'd be anybody that'd be listening to this that would say, no, I like the panicked coffee over having a, a board of directors that's looking out for me. Right. All right. No, I couldn't agree more. But Aaron, this is, we're running out of time, which is what happens when we have guests like you that, that know your stuff and are really excited and enthusiastic about talking and love to share. And you, um, you come from this really authentic place and that's such an overused word and I was struggling to even say it because we hear about authenticity all the time, but you're a genuine guy and you hopped on the call and you spent some time with us and you shared your insights and wisdom. And I know everyone listening and myself are really thankful, grateful for it. Um, but we could end up talking for another hour, I think, if we let it. So let's do this. Let's go ahead and wrap up with, we talked a little bit about your ideas of the mix and what that looks like and how marketing evolves in an organization and people should be flexible around that, that you need to have goals and direction and a North Star. We talked about the podcast and the tips and tricks and tactics of that. And that led very nicely into a conversation about networking, what it is, what it isn't, uh, how we should think about it and the ways we should evolve it beyond that panicked coffee. So with a little bit of time left, you got, a, you got a couple of, you know, maybe a minute here. Is there anything we didn't cover? Anything you want to add on any one of those topics? Or you just want to go ahead and cut your losses early and quit while you're ahead? No, I, I mean, you know what I will do is I won't necessarily try to add to that because I do feel like we covered a lot of ground. You did a gorgeous job summarizing it. And I know that there's nothing worse than someone saying, oh, no, I don't really have anything to add and then adding another five minutes. So I will leave your wonderful <laughs> summary uh, as the, the end. The period on the sentence. Perfect. Well, Aaron, thank you again so much for for hopping on today. It was such a great, rich conversation. Uh, do me a favor. So let's um, let's tell people how to find you. We're going to put in the show notes. It's certainly going to be on the website. But you know, how do if people want to connect with you, if they're really interested in hearing a little bit more, Aaron, they want to get a little bit more of you. What's what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So many channels. Which one do you like the best? Well, I'd say these days, the easiest is probably uh, Twitter, and I'm just Aaron Strout, so A-A-R-O-N-S-T-R-O-U-T. And uh, if you at me or DM me, I always look at my Twitter, um, even though you know some people love it, some people hate it. Um, if you like the visual, Instagram is a fun place to find me, and then the W2O website, so just W2O, and then the letter O, G-R-O-U-P, W2O group.com is our website. And uh, certainly you can find out more about me and connect with me there. So any of those channels would be uh, great places to connect. And then do please, on iTunes, you know, what to know. I'd love for you to check out the show. Sorry if you don't mind make me doing cross pitch. But it's what and then the number two and then K-N-O-W. And if you look closely, the, the letters W-2-O happen to sit in that title. But go to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher app, our website. Um, and check out, you know, an episode of the What to Know podcast. And uh, I'll make sure I do a cross plug for this podcast as well. I love it. All right, Aaron, thank you so much. Thank you for hopping on the call today. Really appreciate it. And uh, and I'm glad that we've given people a sense of where to go find you and, and how to get a little bit more. So with that, thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks for having me, Todd. Thanks for listening to Aaron. I, I love his point of view. I love his thoughts on building his own podcast how he stretched himself into it, what that means for him, how he's met new, interesting, and engaging people through that, and how he really pushes his team and his people to really think about 
uh, goals and objectives. What's the end result? What's the thing that we want out of marketing? And then how are we going to use all of these different mechanisms to try and reach people and connect with people and do it in a great and meaningful way? Let's be authentic. Let's stay on brand. His point of view is so salient and so spot on. And this is definitely a webinar to listen, re-listen, keep on your short list and keep coming back to because he just knows how to put all the pieces together and be really actionable and really thoughtful about it. If you want to follow him, and I suggest you do, you can look at W2O Group. That's W with a two zero, uh, or sorry, O, group, G-R-O-U-P dot com. You can also find him at Aaron Strout on LinkedIn. That's A-A-R-O-N-S-T-R-O-U-T LinkedIn and Twitter. Same thing. Aaron Strout, A-A-R-O-N-S-T-R-O-U-T. So that is it for the podcast for today. Hope you continue to listen. By all means, please go like the page, subscribe to us on foundersplace.co and go get yourself a copy of the book. The book is doing amazingly well. Very proud of the results, getting great feedback, and it's definitely helping organizations as they build and grow their business. It's titled Beyond Product. That's right, Beyond Product. You can find it at foundersplace.co. You can find it on Barnes Noble. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it in your favorite local neighborhood bookseller. That's it for today. Hope you have a great listen, and we'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. For past episodes, blogs, and more, visit us at foundersplace.co. That's foundersplace.co. And thanks for listening to the Founders Place podcast, the place where exceptional founders grow. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.